Hello, and welcome to The Cheerleading Junkie. I'm your host, Jill Markley, and I'm excited to have today's guest, Rob Miller, on the show. Rob is a motivational speaker for the Proactive Coaching Organization. Thank you for being here today, Rob. Well, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be on. Yeah, thank you. should be fun. Um, it's hard to imagine any coach, athlete, or parent who is not familiar with proactive coaching with all the memes and everything that gets shared all the time. But just in case there is someone out there wondering, can you please tell me about the organization and its mission? Sure, I'd love to. Our founder, Bruce Brown, started this uh, back in the late 90s after he was done his coaching career. He coached 35 years, high school, junior high, high school, college, went back to junior high at the end of his career, and then started this. I met him in 2000 and actually hired him at what's called the NAIA, the National Association of Intercollegiate Athletics. We worked together there eight years, and then we, I went off and joined him and so from 2008 to now, Bruce and I and his wife, Dana, are kind of the partners in it, along with about four or five other speakers. We speak about 200 days a year between us. I do about 120 of those. Wow. And our main goal is to work with teams to build culture, to be intentional about building your culture. Too many teams let things happen by accident. And you never know. You hope for a good season. We're trying to make sure you build the culture to have a good season. So when issues happen, because they will happen, you're ready for them to deal with them within your culture. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this really speaks to me. I absolutely love what you guys do. Um, so what what drew you into this group? Was it that mission or you know, was it a personal experience or something like that that you can share? I coached for many years and I'm primarily basketball at the college level. And, and I came out, I was working at the NAIA, and I was asked, well, actually I was brought into the NAI by our, our, our CEO, Steve Baker at the time. And basically his whole goal was to change the culture of sport. And when he came in, he hired me to do that. And I was really not looking for a philosophical approach, lots <laughs> of philosophies out there. I was looking for an application approach. Because as you know, coaches live in the application world, not the philosophical world. Right. How is going to help us today? And, and so I went out. Actually, that was about 2000. And I had a friend call and say, there's a guy you got to listen to up in the Pacific Northwest. So I flew up to Seattle and listened to Bruce talk. And the moment I heard him talk, I knew that's what I've been looking for. Because I think even in my career, I'm like you. It was something I was drawn to. But I was never given the application on how to do it. It was kind of a lot of, you know, we always do trial and error. I was erring more than trial, and, you know, that's where it was. And this really helped me solidify what I've been thinking. And that's how I kind of got involved with it over the time. Oh, that's really interesting. Um, were you like a motivational speaker before joining this organization? No, didn't want to be a motiv motivational speaker before, and I still don't want to be a motivational speaker. <laughs> um, I laugh all the time because people say, you know, is that something you've been striving to do? And I get calls. We get calls two or three times a week from people who want to be speakers. Oh, wow. I don't want to be a speaker. Okay. Mm -hmm. I want to be a coach. But I think what has transpired is this is so I'm so on fire for this that when I get in front, it naturally happens. I don't see it as motivational speaking. I see it as coaching coaches, coaching teams. And so it kind of extends from there. If you put me up in front of that same group and tell me to talk about some other subject, it's going to be, I believe, horrible, right? But right. when we come talking about this, this is the world I live in. This is my passion. And I think that allows me to be that speaker that I've never really wanted to be. 
Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Some, when your passion comes out, it's, it just feels right. right? And I tell young people that all the time, I call want to be speakers. I say, what do you want to speak about? Do you want to be a speaker because you want to get in front of people and speak? Well then just go get some topics and go, or do you want to have a passion? If you want to have a passion, build on that passion. Yeah, that's brilliant, actually. I like the way you said that. Um, so from your schedule of events that I checked out on the website, it looks like you you will go anywhere in the country, or do you even go further? Like, do you oh, go yes. international? I've had the opportunity to speak in 49 states, all but Hawaii. I keep waiting for Hawaii, but that's <laughs> um, We do a lot in Canada, mm-hmm. and then I have had the chance to be overseas, Um uh, quite a bit. I've been in Singapore to speak. I've been in uh, I've been in Vietnam to speak, and so we we get out there a lot. Now it's interesting in our Facebook, uh, you know, our social media accounts. Uh, we have a huge following in Australia, New Zealand, um, and also the UK, South Africa, uh, all across the world. We have those those. I think we got like twenty nine countries. We got people that follow us on. Mm-hmm. What you see on social media is just a taste, though. When we're talking the in-depth training, we do it all across the North America and when we can across across the world. And right now, we're kind of seeing us kind of right now. The last few months is it's kind of opened back up over COVID. We basically speak in the Midwest, Mount, Mountain Time Zone, Central Time Zone. That's where we're speaking right now. Mm-hmm. Okay, but as things open up, you'll be going other. I places. hope so. So with this whole global view, which is just fantastic, do you see some like common challenges that we're all having as coaches? I think everybody's dealing with three or four different issues. And and, and when it boils down to it, I think if I had to say what those were, the first is leadership, Mm -hmm. how to develop leaders. And and I hear this all the time. You know, we don't have any leaders anymore. And I, I, for a while, I kind of answered that. Yeah, I can see that. Now I'm answering, what are you doing to develop them? Right. And I think we have to be intentional about developing the leadership on our team. So that's the first thing. I think the second thing that comes along is just especially with young coaches, and, and this has been for years, uh, we talk and we're at a coach's clinic, uh, everybody with gray hair or no hair, like me, okay, we go to the culture piece and all the young coaches go to the skills piece. Right. And I think that's the second piece. We got more people who are mentoring young coaches that are trying to get them to understand culture is so important because if not, coaches are getting in and getting out. We're losing good young talent just because they don't understand the culture piece and it wears on them because the outside influences have been huge in our world of sport lately, right? You guys see it more than anybody maybe because I've always said this about your sport. Unlike a sport that lasts three months, you guys last nine and 10 months. Right. Which means this, I can put a Band-Aid on a three-month sport. Mm -hmm. I can get through a six-month sport with some, you know, with some things. Nine, ten-month sport, every issue is going to come to the forefront. Right. We better be ready for that culture piece. And then the third one I think I would put into that is um, not only is it young coaches not understanding, I just don't think – there's more now, but when we got into this, we were about the only group doing it 20, 22 right. years ago. Now there's five, six, seven people, groups doing it. But back then it was such a, it either happened or didn't happen just based on who you, how you were coached. Mm-hmm. Now there's more of an influence to try and say, let's raise the bar of coaching a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, just to go a little bit off. I, so I've been working on my MBA in leadership 
um, in organizational leadership. And that is one of the the concepts that they preach is how are you developing other leaders, yep. you know, but up until I was doing this MBA, I'd not really heard that before. You know, yeah, I think it's huge. I think that the the intention, the better way for me to put it, I think, is the intentionality of coaching under the aspects of leadership and culture. That would be the issues everybody's dealing with. It doesn't matter where you are, the level you're coaching, or the sport you're coaching. Everybody's dealing with those. Yeah, yeah, I definitely believe that. So how do you help someone understand the importance of developing a culture? Because per your point, a lot of young, like younger coaches, they probably don't even realize, I'm guessing that it's a need that they have in their program, right? Yeah, I, I think the best way to do it is, is to, for them to understand, kind of take them back through their experiences and see teams that don't have a good culture tend to go on a roller coaster ride. Mm-hmm. And it amazes me how many athletes go, that was us, you know, you know, and I put it this way, good contest, bad contest, good contest, bad contest, good practice, bad practice, good practice, bad practice. Oh, good 10 minutes, bad 10 minutes, good 10 minutes, bad 10 minutes. And I think a lot of people resonate with that and they understand that's what happens when you don't have culture. That's what up and down and up and down and this issue, that issue. The other thing is the, the difference between clicks and subgroups. Clicks have all their own little agendas and everybody's going apart. Subgroups happen on teams, but when you're going in the same direction, they come together. And I think those are the kind of things that young coaches can resonate with, first from their own experience and second to understand, if you just let things happen to you, your energy is going to wear out quick. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. And I've not really thought of it before as cliques versus subgroups, actually. So that's kind of an interesting concept. I'm sure I'm older and I've been coaching a lot longer, so it's probably part of the problem. But you know, but I think it's one thing we've seen. I mean, and, and they come naturally. Look at a track team. Mm-hmm. A track team has 16 teams on one. There's natural subgroups. Okay? Yeah. But when they come together, oh, my word, it's one of the most powerful events you'll ever go to is a track meet. Same thing happens on all our teams, you know, and, and inside cheer, look at this. How many teams are like big teams? Right. I mean, some teams are eight to 10 to 12. Okay. That's, but when you start getting 20, 30, 40, I've seen 50, I've seen 60. Okay? Yeah. Oh my word. They're not going to be this tight little group. They're going to have those different subgroups within it, which is fine as long as they're not going in different directions. Right. Yep. That definitely makes sense to me. That's cool. Um, so another critical dynamic I see proactive coaching discussing a lot is the parent coach relationship, um, and how to sort of navigate the ins and outs of that one. So let's start with with this thought on parents, coaches, when parents and coaches work together, kids win. Mm -hmm. When parents and coaches work apart, the, the athlete loses. Right. That's the overarching. Working together is the most important thing. That doesn't mean we'll agree on everything. Right. Okay. No one says parents have to agree with the coaches all the time. There's no text that says that. Okay. But the key is to understand we'll have to work together. And so let me go two different ways on that one. First is this. Young coaches need to develop and old coaches need to develop because you can't just ignore parents anymore either. Right. You know, sure. and second is, I don't know about you, but me, I, I, you hear coaches say, I'd rather coach at an orphanage. And I go, no, no, no. I mean, I, I'd love to coach at an orphanage. Don't get me wrong. But right. I want that parent involved too, so that we can make something great for the athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, 
we all have to have clear expectations and good communication. That's the first thing. Those are the two most important things when it comes to that relationship. That one, we know those parents know what the expectations are on our side, what we need, what we're looking for, what we'll talk about, what we won't talk about. I'm very much into that. What can we talk about and what we're not going to talk about? Okay. On the other hand is this. Coaches focus on the 99% of parents, not the one. Right. Okay. 80% of parents you're going to have no problems with. Mm-hmm. Awesome. 19% is where you're going to need that strong communication. Okay. And good expectations. Okay. Okay. But that 1% of parents is coming after you. You're the worst coach ever. Don't let that one percenter get you because guess what? That's who they are in life. And too many times that one percent drives coaches out when the 99 percent you're working with. So we also have to understand that work with the 99 and the one percent. You're going to have to learn to, to just kind of ignore work with your administration or whoever you're, you know, is overseeing you to make sure those people aren't driving you out. So that's the first part. The second part. I would say on, on the relationship is um, don't 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 create a wall that doesn't need to be there. Okay, mm-hmm. if a parent wants to, now, I, I'm very here's my expectations. If you want to talk to me about your child's health and safety, improvement, or how they're behaving, let's talk. Yeah. Okay. I'm not going to talk to you about playing time strategy or other people on the team. Mm-hmm. Okay, but on that first one, there's not a wall there. I want to have that relationship. I don't need to be best friends with every parent, not at all. But I want to have a relationship we can talk about their young person. Right, right, absolutely. Yeah, it's hard though. Um, I've been coaching for more than a decade, and it is so hard to not let that one percent, you know, get you down. Like, do you guys? give any tips or advice on how to, because sometimes it can be rough, especially while you're in it, you know? Oh, cause they're driving at you. One, yeah. you need us, you need somebody you can talk to and release to. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing. Um, first of all, don't, it, this is going to sound so easy and it's so hard. Don't <laughs> take it personal because they, they do this to everybody. Okay. And the best way I always think is, do you have a mentor coach or mentor person in your life you can go share this with? They've probably been there. We've all been there. Sometimes we think we're on this island. We're the only ones that have ever dealt with that parent. And yet every other coach at our school or in our club or organization has dealt with that parent as well. Okay. Have somebody you can go and talk to about that. That's a great release for you to do that. Great release. But sometimes you just have to get support to just say, you know what? I love your child. Your child's welcome here all the time. You're not. And I hope it never gets to that point, but that 1%, sometimes you're just going to have to say no, because you're taken away from the other athletes on the team. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And we all have been there. That is for sure. So how about the parent athlete dynamic? You know, because sometimes we get that toxic relationship too. Like, how do you navigate that? Well, you know, we have a whole presentation on that. That's an hour long that we talk to parents about. And, uh, but it basically comes down to this. We talk about, and, and this presentation actually came from Bruce, who surveyed every kid that ever played for him. So over 35 years, he coached four different sports, all different levels. Think about that. And wow. the presentation is basically, what does the athlete want from us that they may never tell us? So the first mm-hmm. thing is, we have to look this through our athlete's eyes, not our eyes. That's the first thing. Then we start talking about, what do they want before the season? 
during the season and after competition that can really help them. So we give our 10 or 10 or 11 ideas under those categories that can kind of be a gift we as parents can give them Mm -hmm. as we walk away. But the whole key comes back to the one thing. Why are you, you know, if you're sitting up there and you're thinking about your goals and your objectives for your child versus their goals and their objectives, now we have an issue. Right. Now we have an issue. Yeah. Yeah. I can see how you would have at least an hour long. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh yeah. We got some more to that, but yeah, the, the we start with the hour. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I believe you for sure. Um, if you were talking to a brand new coach or a person starting a brand new program, is there any advice you would give them or anything that you think they should focus on? Is it developing, identifying and developing the culture first? Or? I think it is identifying the culture, but it's also this surrounding yourself with good people. Yeah. That, okay. And that doesn't mean yes people or people who are totally in agreement with you when it comes to philosophy and all that. But when it comes to culture, they better be with you. Because right. if you and I are on a coaching team, or we're in a gym together, and I'm coaching this way, and you're coaching that way. When it comes to culture, our kids are getting a, getting a very mixed message. Mm-hmm. So the, how you first establish it is establish who you want to be, what you want to be known for, and who's the people with you that can help you get there. And then have no. There's some things you should never compromise. There's there's a lot of things in athletics we can compromise. There's some things we should never ever compromise when we come to it. Um, you know, we kind of put it this way. Your culture should be this, what makes you different, what makes you noticeable, and what makes you appealing? Because there's some cultures that are different, noticeable, and unappealing, right? (laughs) Right. But there's also a lot of cultures that aren't different, aren't noticeable, and aren't appealing. They're in the murky middle. Mm -hmm. And they just come and go with the territory. We want to have our culture be different, noticeable, and appealing, and make sure we have the people that are going to take us there. Yeah. Do you help people sort of build a, like, you know, if I were to call you and say, my new gym is starting up, I need help figuring this mess out, you know? We're not, we're not the experts on the financial, the business plan. That's not us. But when it comes to the culture, we go through a whole process where we say, what's a coach look like in our program? What's an administrator look like in our program? What's a parent look like in our program? What's an athlete look like in our program? And we put that all together. So you have something that's not, you don't make it 25 pages long, right? Keep it simple that people know what it is. I'll phrase it this way. We've gotten really good in our society in t-shirt slogans and banners. Mm-hmm. I can walk into clubs and schools and find tons of teams with t-shirt slogans and banners on the wall. I want to know what it looks like. Can we take those away and give them action statements? When we're working with a new gym, new program, we're saying, okay, let's. what's the action statement of your program? What's that going to look like on our gym? What's that going to look like on our coaches? What's that going to look like on our athletes? What's it going to look like on our parents? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be really helpful, I think, for a lot of different people, particularly, you know, new gyms or new coaches, for yep. sure. You know um, what else we find? It's really good sometimes with older coaches. Oh, really? Who have come come who have come kind of complacent and it refires them up. You know, yeah. they, they, it really stills a fire in them. Because, again, coming back to what I said at the beginning, they go from just letting it happen to be intentional about it. And that fires them up. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah, I believe that because I've seen a few coaches become complacent, but the 
kind of the bigger issue I see with older coaches personally is ego kind of gets in the way. Either they've been winning for so long and so they no longer ever need to learn anything new or, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's my job. You call that status quo. Yeah. And no one ever wants to be in status quo. And one story I tell is I was at one time, Bruce and I were speaking at a clinic and John Wooden, the great coach was speaking at the same clinic. He was 93 years old. He had arthritis at the time. I was sitting next to him. You know what he asked me to do? Take notes when Coach Brown was speaking. When he's 93 years old, had been retired, had 10 national championships. And I said, love to, Coach. Why? And his response was this. Good stuff. I need it for the next team I'm going to coach. Wow. That's impressive. If John Wooden isn't status quo, none of us need to be status quo. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Absolutely. Um, So clearly proactive coaching has so much to offer everyone in sports today in general. Um, But can you explain a little bit about like, what are your most popular programs or like maybe an entry level program if somebody's looking to get started? Well, let me kind of go down and I'll I'll give you kind of our different platforms. You know, our first platform is, uh, is the one, well, let me come to probably before what I'd say the presentation platform is the material platform. And if you go on our website, proactivecoaching.info, Bruce has written, I think now we're up to 22 booklets. And they're not books. They're just short booklets. They're $5 or $6 each. And the reason is um, sometimes we don't need that big book, right? We just want that one booklet to get through that one issue. And so we've he's really figured that out. And it's been really, really good. And so if a coach, you're working on leadership, there's some leadership stuff. You want to work on a little bit of t- – we have one that calls uh, Teach Attitude First. Okay. Okay. You're having some attitude issues. There's one there. There's one for athletes, kind of a team read called compete. Well, there's 22 of those. And that allows you kind of immerse into the message a little bit. Mm-hmm. Along with that, there's some DVDs and some streaming stuff. So that's kind of platform number one to kind of get you get into start developing your own culture. The second one would be us coming out and speaking where we kind of do three, you know, as we say, we have kind of four different options. And mm-hmm. you can stretch it over. Some bring us in once a year for four years. Some bring us in four times in a year. It all depends where you're at, right? Um, mm. But the first one is kind of a general to get everybody on the same page. One hour with coaches, one hour with athletes, and one hour with parents. Mm-hmm. That kind of gets everybody the same message. The second one is up if you have a uh, if you have a uh, you have your own club, okay, um, or your own facility. We do a three hours just with coaches, just in service. How do you teach character? How do you develop your culture? So that's a Mm -hmm. fun one as well. And then the third one, which I really enjoy, this is my funnest, we do a coaches leaders workshop where coaches bring in their leadership team off their team and we Mm -hmm. go at it for about three and a half hours, four hours. And the beauty one of that, we watch athletes take ownership. Mm Mm-hmm. Because if we're telling as coaches, here's who you need to be as athletes, you know what we get? Compliance. Mm-hmm. But if they own it, the ceiling just rises. It yeah. just goes crazy. Then the fourth one is we actually come back, observe things, spend time with you, go through this issue, that issue, how are we dealing with this, more of a mentor type situation. So that's kind of the presentation platform. And then the other one uh, that we do is Bruce actually does a retreat 
out on his island in Camino. Uh, I do it in Kansas City, but I'm going, why would you want to go to Kansas City when you go to an island in the Pacific Northwest, right? And, uh, so he does some retreats where you can kind of come out and deal with the issues you want to deal with beforehand. I'm dealing with this and this. You can go as a coaching staff. You can go with your leaders, however you want. That's kind of our three platforms. And then our fourth platform is what everybody sees. That's the social media. And we have about a million people between Facebook and Twitter that follow us on social media. And that's kind of the short message to reinforce what you're doing. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. That sounds great. Um, so somebody who's interested in getting more information about proactive coaching, they go to the website, social, what's the best way? Yeah, either one. Uh, they can go to the website, proactivecoaching.info. They can go to um, they can go to our social media page, uh, which is proactive LLC, proactive coaching LLC, gets you to the Facebook page. You can leave a message there. Um, and then they can just call us. I mean, our numbers are on both of those, and they can just call Bruce or I, and we love to talk to coaches. That's never a problem. No, that's great. Um well, as someone who's focused, I mean, I focused my entire career in and out of sports on leadership. I would just like to say I really applaud this effort. I love the very idea of who you guys are and what you're trying to do. And I feel like many people end up being coaches because of their technical aptitude, but the best coaches are the ones who are more concerned with the leadership principles, like you've said. So, you know, thank you so much for everything you're doing, not just for our industry, but for sports in general. I love it. Well, thank you. And, and, uh, you know, I will say this over the last five to seven years, I'd say the spirit, the cheer and the dance have become probably 30% of our business. Wow. Yeah. Uh, it, it's just exploded over the last, the last five, six years. And I think it does come back to, um, you are, you know, the sport lasts all year. And so mm -hmm. this, the culture is so important and the other thing I think what people are finally getting to understand, and I, and I love this, they finally get to understand that cheer are some of the best athletes in the school if you really watch them. Yeah. If you really take a chance, sit back and watch them perform, you go, oh, my word, look what they do. You know, mm -hmm. I always say if I tried to do that, I'd have four blown hammies, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's an amazing athletic competition that too many people have not seen till now. And I think right. that has allowed us to grow. We have grown the proactive coaching because of our relationship with cheer. Yeah. Yeah. It's fantastic. I really love what you guys do. Great. Um, so that's all I had. Did you want to add anything else? Do you want me to touch on anything? Else? I just want to thank you as coaches for doing what you do, working with those kids impact for a lifetime. You may not see it today, Mm -hmm. But what you're doing will impact them a week from now, a year from now, a month. I mean, you know, 10 years from now. Yeah. The paycheck will come in. Yeah, absolutely. Interestingly, as an anecdote, I just I had a girl because um, now I have a gym now, but I coached the, the lady when she was, a, I don't know, in high school and she signed up her six year old daughter in my cheer program. And um, when she did, she sent me a message and she said, you know, I realize I maybe wasn't always the best person you know, to you. And at the time, but you know, you always showed me kindness and things like that. So I was like, Hey, you know, 10 years later, she said, sorry. <laughs> we call those paychecks right there. That's a paycheck. <laughs> yep. Yep. Worked out. So cool. All right. Well, thank you so much. I really do appreciate your time and doing this interview with us. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. I hope you found it as informative and entertaining as I did. 
If you're enjoying the podcast, then please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram at The Cheerleading Junkie, or find us on Facebook as The Cheerleading Junkie, or on Twitter at The Cheerleading One. That's T-H-E-C-H-E-E-R-L-E-A-D-I-N, number one. This is Jill Markley, The Cheerleading Junkie, saying see you next week.